What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome to the anime podcast of some sort. I'm DJM. I'm David Majors. I'm Dejala. That that last one doesn't count. No one called me that. It's it's just just don't. I'm I'm not worthy of something of that prestige. The co-host, the real talent on this show, where I just hit record, Jack D. Alistair, cosplayer, writer, YouTuber extraordinaire. What's up, Jack? Hi, Jajala. Uh, doing fantastic. Uh, really happy to be here and talk about a lot of momentous occasions. You're right. It just doesn't sound like a good thing. It, it just, I tried, I tried to get past it. I tried to keep powering through, but no, no, nobody tried Dajala. It, it, it makes you feel, it makes you feel weird. Don't nobody needs it. to make Dajala happen. That, that is, that is worse than fetch. Do not try and make Dajala happen. I just want to make a quick shout out uh, once again to Constant Cosplay, who had made a quick recommendation. It's not necessarily what we talk about on the show, but I just wanted to give it a quick mention and just say Constant Cosplay. Uh, I did happen to see the play that you were uh, mentioning in question. It's called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. The uh, reason it was recommended must be obvious. If you dig post-apocalyptic deconstruction of theater or something that Mike Reese considers grim, pretentious, and uh, pessimistic, then you might enjoy. Keep going, Jack. Keep going. You'll enjoy. (laughs) You'll enjoy. Uh, The script, the official script, lists it as a play that takes place in the very near future, obviously, after some kind of meltdown, uh, followed by seven years in the second act, and then 75 years later, after absolute ruin and waste, to near operatic uh, levels of legend and uh, music. It's just a very strange, surreal, uh, very meta look into the deconstruction of theater, and especially uh, culture and how that might carry on in the future without any kind of electronic devices or the internet. So I would highly recommend people take a look at that. Uh, you know, again, it's a little bit outside the cusp. It's theatrical, but um, you can see clips of it on YouTube. That's Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. So thank you, Constant Cosplay, uh, for being a local listener and for mentioning that. I just wanted to let people know that that was a thing that exists, and it's very interesting. I feel like I'm way too old to be saying the phrase, that is my aesthetic, but I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, I can send you some stuff after the, after the, the flip flap and we'll, we'll, we'll get that going. It's very interesting. It's mostly based off of the Cape fear episode of the Simpsons. And it's just kind of this idea of urban legend and, uh, verbal passing on of stories and things like that. Okay. That being said, let's talk about some nerd stuff because a lot of nerd stuff happened in we got between a lot. We got the a, then and we got now. A big show. We we got one of those shows where really big show. I'm, I'm gonna be mad that we went too long. It's gonna be one of those shows because I'm always like, <laughs> we have to keep things at an hour. We got that's a lot. what my boss said, and that's why I'm doing better than he is at making judgment calls. Well. <laughs> I I have to keep things at an hour because then they charge extra, so that that's a problem. Boy, let's just jump that... into E3, Jack, right off the top. E3, Whoa. the Electronic E3. Entertainment Expo of 2018, the year of our Bob. Hooray! 
all of the big video game companies, developers, and everybody else came to Los Angeles, California, and showed off their upcoming wares. Oh, now, yes. Th- there were certain things that I had my interest in. Jack, I know you had yours. Uh, yes. I'll let you go first. What from E3 really caught your eye? Good, bad, or indifferent? All right, all right. Uh, I guess I'll start with the good stuff because, you know, it's it's a lot. There's a lot that's actually really positive. Um, every trailer that's been even the ones that have been forcibly shoved into my face all look like really fun, really great graphically, you know, intense games, even stuff like Assassin's Creed that I'm not, you know, terribly excited about. I just sit there and think Ubisoft, please just, just sell somebody the rights to Rayman. Someone who's going to do something with it, please. It's gotta, it's gotta have something. We've got to have more of that, please. Um, well, I guess I started with more negative things, but the positive, the positive, uh, you know, everybody knows I love Cuphead. Uh, that should be absolutely nobody's surprise, but, uh, I guess kind of going back to the Rayman thing, I always imagined that if they were going to add anything to the game, they'd add characters and lo and behold, we did find out David that, uh, what is known as the Delicious Last Course, so very clever acronym there, DLC, will involve new weapons, new bosses, levels, and of course the new playable character, the legendary Chalice, the Holy Grail, alongside game regulars Cuphead and Mugman. So what I'm supposing this means for the Cuphead community, David, is you will be able to play as everyone's favorite uh, non-Luigi player two character Mugman. So I think people will be able to switch around with that. That's a pretty solid uh, addition. I would think so. It's like playing with Sonic Tails or Knuckles. It sounds like, which was very welcome back in the day. So that was for the Cuphead bit... fans out there. That, that that definitely looked awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm hoping that maybe just maybe one of the new weapons on it will. Uh, you know, possibly make a speed run of maybe a new game plus or something of the game possible again, because wow, we're coming up on uh, GDQ in the summer, David. And uh, boy, boy, I'm telling you that that game was. Are you going to go for it, Jackson? Never. Are you going to go for it? No. Oh, oh, not this year. Never. No, I have. I lost the. I lost the deadline to submit to that, but holy cow, I'm telling you, like the the possibility of that game being in the GDQ and then uh, preemptively being struck because of the bug fix uh, that made it much slower is just absurd. It's just so sad <laughs> to see. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, David. Here's hoping. Knock on wood. Um, uh, why don't you go? Why don't you go ahead with one of the ones uh, that you were excited about? We'll kind of do a back and forth here. I was actually really surprised at how much of almost every developer really caught my eye. Uh, Even the ones with games that I really don't have or really don't have anything to play them on. I would almost go so far as to say that as a complete package, this might be the best E3 I have seen in a very, 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 very long time. And I'm talking about going all the way back to when E3 was covered by GamePro Magazine, folks. This E3 2018, I was pretty damn impressed across the board. But there was one game in particular 
uh, on the Xbox, actually, uh, a console that I don't actually own that really caught my eye. And I'm hoping that it will be on PC or maybe move to later consoles. I don't think they said it was a console exclusive. I'm hoping it's not. Uh, it was from a German developer who uh, introduced the game during Microsoft's keynote. And she was immensely charming in that video game developer kind of way without being off-putting and awkward. And she also wore a Kraftwerk shirt, so that was like a double bonus. Uh, that game was called Sea of Solitude. Jack, did you see this? Sea of Solitude. That might have been right around the time that I was working heavily on the day of. So please, fill me in, David. All right. This game, uh, again, so far, it looks like it'll be an Xbox exclusive. Uh, it looks sort of like a 2.5D platformer. Uh, where you are going on a journey of sorts that might be best called a a inverted version of journey in which you are finding your way towards the light but in the case of sea of solitude it was a journey through the darkness and there were stories about loneliness and the human condition and how all of these things and i'm getting really hashtag ludo narrative dissonance hashtag games as art here uh, how these things can affect you as a person but at its core the gameplay looked like a solid 2.5 d platformer uh front facing almost like the sonic adventure games though not with the speed and I was very, very intrigued. And it was the first time in a very, very, very long time that a game on the Xbox kind of made me take pause and be like, oh, hey, Xbox got themselves good. They, they really did. And that that is a game that I'm still thinking about to this day. Sea of Solitude. That, that was my number one, uh, especially since it wasn't on my particular video game console that is surprising you see and it just goes to show you folks that the 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 demand will always outweigh the supply it doesn't always come down to brand loyalty with us gone it. so we don't have to keep arguing about which is better because you're gonna want games from every single system uh, I believe Xbox has another game. It may or may not be an exclusive for it that I was particularly excited about because I have a bit of a history with this series. Uh, not a huge one, but a little bit of a history. So, uh, David, I'm going to bring you back in time to summer 2014. This is exactly four years ago. Uh, slightly younger, much more bitter Jack was doing what any bitter person would do with an emulator and a computer that absolutely ran it like crap you'd play battle toads for the nes on an nes emulator yes you'd play that game and you'd make sure you put the game shark in Uh, that's right i had to do a little bit of fudging with the game to make sure i could beat it but i did unlimited continues and it took me the entire summer but concern it there it is again david on my life that that summer at the very end of it it was pure drama right before i was going to go back to college i completed battletoads i beat the dark queen 
and I won. And since then, I have kept an eye on the Battletoads community, people who speedrun the games, play them well in general, that kind of thing. Of course, everyone's personal favorite, the uh, six-player Battletoads race featuring Proton John of... Uh, of Twitch and something awful fame. You know, this Did you game... see that one of the Battletoads was actually a guest character recently in Killer Instinct? Yeah, I was really excited about that because that's a... I, I think that people give a little bit too uh, bad of a rap to Battletoads of being like, oh, they're just a, you know, a cheap imitation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But the games, the games are really solid and... We're going to get another one in 2019. There was a little bit of a teaser trailer, and I'm quite excited for it. Looks like uh, there's going to be a lot of care put into it. Unfortunately, the thing that made me a little bit ambivalent about it, David, if you saw that teaser, was there was no gameplay or screenshots or anything to really offer aside from some voice acting and some... Well, they even mention it themselves. They kind of poked fun at it of like a big overarching promises that will lead you to disappointment upon release or something like that. Like they were very, very tongue in cheek about the game pitch. But uh, 2019, we're supposedly going to get a nice hand drawn uh, beat em up Battletoads game again. That'll be the sixth one. And I'm frankly very excited. What do you think, David? Uh, do you have any history with Battletoads at all? Well, Jack, it's it's time to fire up the Wayback Machine and I have a minute. I wore an onion on my belt. It was the style at the time. And and have a minute with the 90s with old man DJM. By all means, please enlighten me, old man back, DJM. Back in the 90s, there was this thing called the Nintendo Entertainment System. And some of the popular games at the time were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games, as well as Battletoads, Jackson. The Battletoads games definitely fell under that category of being Nintendo hard. Because back in the day, video games were made to take your money and take your quarters. And if you saw Battletoads in the arcade you knew you were either going to be in for a long night of throwing quarters away, or you would leave a god. <laughs> so if this is anything like those games, or if it has enough callbacks and tributes to those games from back in the day, as they say, I will definitely be CC very intrigued. Very intrigued. Because these games, uh, as... I was reminded by Killer Instinct, uh, the Battletoads game, the Battletoads cartoon. Oh, man. The Battletoads oh, cartoon. Oh, God. You mean the just three ordinary kids beginning of that dang trope? Holy oh, cow. Just three uh, ordinary guys. It, it was the 90s, everybody. Uh, and again, old man DJM, if you lived through the 90s, you understand, but... Woo. Yeah. It, it, Battletoads. Battletoads is not just severely hard, but when you do get to a certain point in the game, it really has its own level of overly bloody, violent, 
tendencies and and a really grim aesthetic that just it just seems to work and the the level design is pretty solid as well and really innovative which makes sense when you realize that the original games are developed by rare everybody's favorite initial indie darling from the uk but battletoads we'll see how that goes i just want to make one quick last comment about it before we move on is my absolute favorite uh, thing about that teaser was how you can take it in the context of just calling out the audience of hey guys you've been really bad at games recently and they've had to get easier and easier for your dumb ass you've gotten soft <laughs> we're gonna call you out in the middle of this trailer that's how it's i time read to it anyway. get good or die trying no, 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 that's for later that's for later we, don't worry, everyone. We will definitely talk about Waluigi later on in the show. <laughs> but, Jack, yes. on the topic of grim aesthetics, uh, we're finally getting to a game from Sony uh, that will be upcoming for my beloved PlayStation 4 uh, from Sucker Punch Studios, the, the folks behind Sly Cooper and as well as the Infamous series. Uh, I saw this trailer and I was absolutely in love with this game. And I'm talking about Ghosts of Tsushima. Uh, oh, Jack, wow. Did you see I this did not one? expect that. No, yeah. I was thinking of something else entirely that, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll mention it equally, but uh, please tell me about this. That uh, was Ghosts out of, nowhere. of Yeah, Ghosts of Tsushima. When I see this trailer, when I first saw this trailer, I fell in love with this because what a lot of people may not know is that I actually enjoyed the infamous games a lot. And same for Sly Cooper, just that great PS2 era of uh, anthropomorphic animals with great platforming games that were on the PlayStation. It was just a fantastic era to have a PlayStation 2. Crash and- Bandicoot, Spyro, that the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack and Daxter, like lots of stuff like that. And the list goes on. Uh, leading us up to today, uh, this game was something that looked incredible. It looked tailor-made for a PlayStation 4 system. Uh, the samurai world that we were living in on Tsushima Island was absolutely stunningly beautiful uh, in its rain-soaked warrior's landscape. The action was incredible. The The acting really made me feel like I was inside of something. Uh, and it was a unique antagonist, being the Mongols. It was based around the Mongol invasion, which I can't Ugh. ever recall seeing in a video game. So the idea of an open world action adventure game where you're playing sort of a a wandering samurai, man, that is so right up my alley because it it played it as if you felt like you were a a wandering warrior and, and not just kind of, it did not feel like a typical open world game. And people that know me know that the only open world game I've ever really enjoyed was Sleeping Dogs. And that was nothing like most open world games. And looking at this and how the fighting mechanic looked uh, 
how the story was playing out, Ghosts of Tsushima looks very much like something that I'm going to have to jump on when it comes out on the PlayStation 4. All right. That's exciting. Uh, Now, what I thought you were going to talk about was what it seems everybody has been nonstop mentioning in basically every feed of social media that I have right now, including YouTube. The videos are just popping up everywhere. I can't escape them. I want to. Please help me. Is uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Did you see anything about this game, David? Because it's been blowing up. And Jack... I think you would say that there aren't too many people that are down with cyberpunk, quite like your boy DJM. It's pretty obscure. And I'm going to drop a hot take on everyone when it comes to cyberpunk 2077. By all means, this is the both of us. This is our safe space. And, you know, we only attack. It's my show. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Do Uh, it. Cyberpunk 2077. I'm not sold on it. Point blank. Uh, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for saying it because, guys, I loves you. I loves all of you. It just screams to me like a faceless, featureless clone of, you know, Bioshock Infinite and, and you know, uh, everything. Yeah, the last of, uh, you know, it's okay for you to be incorrect. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a stickler for the first two because I am a jerk like that. But you know, it 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 was an enjoyable experience my first go around. So that's you know that is what that is. But you know, if you want yourself a faceless, safe experience, you know, you're probably going to find it in in Cyberpunk 2077. So now I'm not terribly I, thrilled about it either. I'm going to deep dive a little bit because of the things that I've been seeing about Cyberpunk 2077 and the discussion that has been coming out about Cyberpunk 2077 and what it represents and what it stands for. Because I feel like when it comes to the idea of Cyberpunk in 2018, since we're getting closer and closer to what people may have believed is the Cyberpunk dystopia... I feel like I'm worried that this game really misses the plot. Because for years and years and years, Cyberpunk was so much more than Mohawk's cybernetic augmentation and industrial music. I I look at Cyberpunk 2077 and I am not seeing a story that really makes me feel like it gets what cyberpunk is about. And when I think about the Deus Ex games, I feel like the Deus Ex games really get it. I'm not so sure about Cyberpunk 2077 yet, because every trailer that I've seen focuses so much on the look and the superficial side of cyberpunk rather than the stories that you can tell within the genre and the sci-fi elements. And with good sci-fi, there is always a little bit of humanity. I am not seeing a lot of that in cyberpunk 2077. I'm waiting to hear 
a story that makes me feel like it understands that cyberpunk more often than not tells a story about humanity, where we're going, what we're trying to do. Are we advancing with our technology? Are we advancing too quickly? Are we shedding what makes us human? Are we becoming a society where we are giving up what we are uh, in the name of convenience? All I'm seeing right now from Cyberpunk 2077 is cool stuff that you wear when you want to go to a rave. And right now with Cyberpunk 2077, I need a little bit more story because right now I'm not sold. Incidentally, David, those kinds of burning questions that you want of the Cyberpunk 2077 world can be found in The Incredibles 2 and the aforementioned post-electric play. So maybe we're just looking in the wrong places. Cyberpunk, man, I don't know what to do about it. I'm not terribly excited myself because, again, it really just looks like all style and no substance. I think you have it dead on there. It's really unfortunate. But I'm tell me really something concerned. Tell me something though, David, because everybody knows that it ain't over on E3 until Nintendo blows everybody else away. So No, I know. I know. I know. I'm being somewhat sarcastic because honestly, nothing terribly excited me, but we have to address the elephant in the room because everybody yes, is going Ed to Boone talk. and NetherRealm Studios didn't say a single thing about Mortal Kombat 11. What the <laughs> hell? That is- <laughs> you, you'd think he'd be tired of all those people in his Twitter mentions asking about Mortal Kombat 11, but apparently not. Everyone knows that NetherRealm Studios is kind of on a a yearly to 18-month development cycle. So we had Injustice 2, which was great. But now, yeah, even I'm starting to get like, okay, Ed, you know, E3 passed. and You didn't say anything, so come on. Come on. Interesting. That was very interesting, David. (laughs) That wasn't coming from anywhere, was it? Holy I'm, I'm, cow! I'm, Are I'm you just, okay? I'm just being real. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying it straight up. Like the, NetherRealm right? Studios, NetherRealm Studios, and Ed Boon, they were at E3, uh, hobnobbing and, and and hanging with the movers and shakers, but <laughs> nothing about Mortal Kombat 11 yet. And I'm not one of those people that's in Ed Boon's mentions on every single tweet asking him about Mortal Kombat 11. I'm not one of those people. Because if you look at Ed Boon's Twitter mentions, they're there every single time. But oh boy, this E3 just passed, and we're about into year two of Injustice 2's development cycle and, and game cycle. We're, we're entering, uh, if we're not at the tail end of year two, we're definitely well into year two. I think the fighting game community and, and fans of NetherRealm games... I think now that E3 has passed, it's starting to get a little bit justified. Uh, I used to be with the people that would bug Ed Boon about MK11. Like, come on, guys. You know they're working on it. You know they're working on it. 
you know they're working on it. But now that E3 has passed, I'm kind of like, are, are, are they working on it? <laughs> working on it. I, I, and, and, and if somebody suddenly in the next month or so announces like some new Injustice DLC, people are going to be so mad. You couldn't so get it mad. done in time. Oh man! You see, this is why I don't want to make video games, David. That's my elephant <laughs> in the room, Jack. That Ed Boon and NetherRealm Studios did themselves no favors at E3. I mean, that's very fair. And if I if if I didn't have friends that were so excited about Mortal Kombat, that wouldn't even phase me. But I I understand <laughs> I understand the frustration. Now, David, I'm a simple I'm a simple and I would say even a reasonable man. I'd say that e- even though it's not true. And I don't even really give a much of a crap about the actual game in question here, but I care about characters, David. So it's no surprise that I have beef about a little thing developing for the Switch, Super Smash Brothers, in which once again for the fifth time in a row, our friend Waluigi has been snubbed. And not just snubbed, but in the worst possible way. Where, where he is featured in his uh, less-than-player state as an assist trophy in the teaser for the game. Now, David, I don't care about Super Smash Bros. as a fighting game. I barely even care about it as playing it with friends casually. It's not my favorite thing but you know i care about one thing in this world and that's waluigi i i don't think that i'm <laughs> i don't think i'm now, in the wrong for that jack yes i have to ask you because i showed you this uh, a, a gentleman ah. wrote a a long very well written op-ed for the washington post about the subject of waluigi uh being left to be an assist character in the upcoming smash brothers game you read this piece. I showed it to you, and and the 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 outrage over Waluigi being omitted is palpable. Yes. Uh, one, did you expect to see something like this from the Washington Post? And two, <laughs> did you expect that the the anger and the reaction to Waluigi would be as big as this? Uh, I'm going to start with the, the obvious joke that, well, first of all, it's the Washington Post. Uh, but no, I didn't ever expect to see anything like that in that kind of journalist uh, environment. But <laughs> the, the outrage to me reminds me so much. This is literally when- the, the second most important <laughs> newspaper in the country. It's ab- it's absurd, and it's and, and only we- se- it's only second to the New York Times, and maybe first, depending on your opinion. It's, uh. it's it's interesting to see this widespread outrage of people because it reminds me so much of when Pluto uh, wasn't declared was was demoted from planet status. It feels exactly like that, and I think that there's that kind of charm that can be expected from the character over all this time that he's been enigmatically developed in all the spin-off games in this popular popular Nintendo series, the Mario series. So you get these 
snippets of him changing from game to game and uh, kind of trying to piece together who he is. And he becomes a very strange figure to for people to try and take apart and decipher it. And it only makes sense that that would just continue with each new uh, game that could potentially feature Waluigi. And I think, you know, he's a great design. He's got a great aesthetic to him. I've cosplayed him for crying out loud in kind of a James Dean way. Jeez, you, you think I'd care? And I do care. And, you know, to hear devs from Nintendo say things like, oh, you don't you don't really like him is kind of like being told you're not really depressed. You're just really, really lazy or something like you that. You kids it's and weird. your memes. All you like, like is no. the memes of Waluigi. Like Waluigi is gen is genuinely great. And I, I do want to talk before we close out on E3 about uh, the game that has been released since or uh, it, it's very exciting. Uh, for the Switch, uh, in which Waluigi gets a really excellent kind of makeover almost. Like, you know, he's the same, but just a little bit spruced up. Waluigi's great. And it's really unfortunate that you get this kind of uneven situation. But I want to talk about you kids and your memes. What the fuck is up with Ridley? I thought that was just a meme. I don't know much about the Smash community in terms of, you know, the guys that are, like, stealing those airport planes that have like or uh, airport tvs that have like no input lag or whatever the hell like i don't talk to the melee heads but i i what what's up with ridley do you know anything about why ridley is a thing david because i don't i don't understand i'm having a bit of a, a, a break about it i don't understand exactly what's going on with ridley Sonic Team Racing looked really cool and Se- Sega announced a Sonic the Hedgehog toaster. Uh, for, for real? A real toaster? A real toaster. And, and it has Sonic on on the side of it and you toast <laughs> the bread and it comes out with a Sonic logo. Oh, that's adorable. Um, doesn't uh, Sonic Mania also feature uh, they're going to input Amy Rose into the game for yes, Sonic Mania? They are. Yes, they are, are they going to add any additional content, or is it just the added character? Um, off the top of my head, I know they are incorporating a couple of the characters from the Chaotix game. Chaotix. Awesome! Just, yeah, that'll be kind of um, interesting. Steve. That kind, their names escape me, but but it's one of them is Mighty the Armadillo, so that that is something to look forward to. Also, Sonic Team Racing, yeah! Sonic Team Racing, yes. the Mario Kart of Sega. And it's damn good too. Is damn it? good games? Yes, yes. Is, it's come out. Well, um the the previous Sonic games, uh, racing games, uh, Sonic and All Stars Racing, All Stars Racing Transformed, and and eventually uh, Sonic Team Racing. I believe it's coming out in the winter. Uh, they've all been really strong racing games. Even my most ardent Nintendo uh, slappies have said that the, the Sonic and All-Stars racing games are are very, very good. So I'm looking forward to it. There was a trailer for the game that featured the incomparable Crush 40. So it, it fills off the Sonic checkbox of having a Crush 40 song. Sonic fans everywhere are, are hoping for a deep, deep, deep dive and, and having maybe a cameo appearance from the legendary TJ Davis. Uh, Jack, are you familiar with TJ Davis? T.J. Davis, that is a voice actor. That much I do know. Uh, it always no. takes me a moment to recontextualize. No, I'm wrong. In the, 
In the case of Sonic, TJ Davis is a British pop singer who is best known for her performance on the soundtrack to Sonic R. No, we don't speak of that game. Why must you bring this back? Because These painful she, memories. Because she was the one that was singing those fantastic songs on the soundtrack. And Sonic fans far and wide are hoping for Sonic Team to get her somewhere in the soundtrack for Sonic Team Racing. Because those songs on the Sonic R soundtrack, Can You Feel the Sunshine, Super Sonic Racing... And on and on and on. Those songs are... I I still listen to them. We were listening to them on the drive to Colossal Con. Still. So, Sonic Team, do this for the Sonic fans. We know you appreciate the memes. If you can get TJ Davis, that would be the icing on the cake. You got Crush 40. That checks off a box. Because... Crush 40 had not been around in the last few Sonic games. But if you can get TJ Davis, that would just be the icing on on the gravy. So that that's the next thing Sonic Team needs to make happen for Sonic Team Racing. Well, my my only question about Sonic Team Racing and the racing games in general, I don't believe Sonic R had this issue. I believe that was a foot race. Uh, David... This is a lore question, so I'm going to Go take ahead. it very seriously. I, I believe I know what you're going to say, and there is an official answer to it. But go ahead. Okay, okay. Now, Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know much about him, but I do know that he is, quote, the fastest thing alive, mm-hmm. end quote. Yes, yes. So why are we deciding things with a car race? Because, and this is officially from Sonic Team... Sonic's a good guy and wants to give everybody a fair chance. That's adorable. Okay. My burning questions have been answered. <laughs> that's all I needed to know. And that is official. That's I, official. I, that's, that's honestly the most charming thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that's so cute. That, that's the thing I like about the Sonic series so far, David. I haven't plunged in quite as deeply as I have with other things, but uh, the the Sonic games are probably, at the first impression, always have a nice, cute aesthetic to it, which I think is what makes them so endearing so much later, even though people would like to say it's for other things, like the story or things like that. I think, first of all, that's aesthetically what uh, interests me in it. Because then it plays around with that. And of course the gameplay is solid. Especially for stuff like Sonic Mania. And, now, and if you keep at it, you can actually feel your hand-eye coordination getting better. You can go fast. You too can go fast like you just got to. And remember uh, everybody, speed is the reward, not the mechanic. Yes, I learned that the hard way, but I learned it through a level that I'm told is not designed well for people in any case. Uh, I'm really excited, David, for something that I've played extensive amounts of the demo for. And this is something that wasn't announced at E3 because it's coming out in four days as of this recording. And that's the Nintendo Switch game to bring it back to old Nintendo. But uh, there, there is a lot to talk about here that might catch your interest. 
uh, good old Mario Tennis Aces coming out on the 22nd of June. Uh, was David, Waluigi going to be in that game? Yes. And in fact, he is reportedly one of the best characters in the game. Uh, not just from an aesthetic standpoint in it, which everybody, every humanoid character has received uh, a tennis uniform of some sort, some kind of a makeover with visored shorts and the such. Uh, Waluigi is bringing his A-game in terms of style and backing it up with a really solid moonwalk for his gameplay element. Uh, David, uh, have you heard the memes surrounding this game? Because I can assure you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quell your interests in what those might have been if you've witnessed any of them. In Mario Tennis? Yes. It's kind of been circulating a little bit. Well, by all means, a little expound, bit of a meme. elaborate. Expound. Uh, there's a bit of a meme with people who have either been, uh, you know, showing off the gameplay via streams or otherwise, or just a general internet consensus of people discussing the gameplay, that the game is as deep and as rich gameplay-wise and filled with uh, you know, the same kind of parameters uh, and quick reflexes inherent in the gameplay as your typical fighting game. And I staunchly agree with that. Now I'm going to explain. Uh, the last Mario Tennis game I ever played was the original Mario Tennis for Nintendo 64. There were other Game Boy games before that, but they were just simply tennis. This was Mario Tennis, even though Mario has previously being in those Nintendo tennis games. Uh, this game with, you know, the full 360 degree control stick, that kind of stuff, even though it was badly implemented in the 64 era controller, supposedly I never had a problem. You could get a really wide array of angles that you could hit the ball to your opponent and vice versa because of the fresh 3d graphics and, uh, you know, extended, engine, whatever, some such. This game has basically reworked that base uh, sport uh, engine and really tweaked with it, added some special moves that you can build meter with. Uh, I think it's considered excitement of the crowd in the game proper. And this is where it really becomes like a fighting game. Each player gets allotted two rackets during the game. This is important because... When you build up enough meter, instead of just doing a quick agility move to get to the ball from across the field, you can or the court, sorry. I used to play tennis. That's a disgrace. Uh, if you build up enough meter excitement, uh, you can actually unleash a shot that if not properly parried, because there is a bit of a parry system in this game, will break your opponent's racket. That is to say, if they even hit the ball at all, because it can just miss because it's just a gigantic projectile of impossible speeds. Since you only have two rackets per match, it's advised that you can win the game quickly by knocking out your opponent by making them racketless. So, so far, the game plays really nicely on variety of controllers and schemes. Looks great. I think we're past having a poor visual downgrade in the Nintendo sports scene and spinoff. So, you know, it's a really polished game and I'm very much looking forward to playing it with all the characters unlocked, everything, uh, you know, all full and ready. I'm excited. And the game makes its up 
its own tournament brackets as you go along and play. So it's definitely looking like it's going to be an online sensation, and I'm looking forward to playing more of it with uh, my requisite Switch partner ownership, however in the world that works. Now, Jack? It's a very fun... Yes. I'm going to surprise you a little bit, because everything you've described about Mario Tennis reminds me of a game that is relatively popular and recently returning to prominence in the fighting game world here in Michigan and in Metro Detroit. Oh. That game is Wind Jammers. Are you familiar with Wind Wind Jammers? Jammers. Yes! Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh! That's coming back? It is. It is. Uh, And also, uh, it is a pretty popular game uh, here in the fighting game scene here in Michigan. And everything you're describing about Mario Tennis... It reminded me so much of Windjammers. The parallels you were describing, very, very reminiscent of Windjammers. So uh, if this is all of the things that you're saying, I would not be surprised to see some Mario Tennis side tournaments in the the not-too-distant future. I would not be surprised. It's it's a very smooth gameplay wise, and I you know now that you mention it, Windjammers, it's very reminiscent of that. So, wow, that would be a lot of fun, and and I'm I'm hoping that that is the case uh, in the future. But uh, now, David, uh, was there anything else from E3 that caught your eye? Because that was about my extent from it so far. Uh, there wasn't much else aside from some out of nowhere announcements that just didn't excite me i will just say one more time shout out to the director of sea of solitude cornelia geppert from berlin germany uh, and her craftwork t-shirt i appreciated her craftwork t-shirt excellent all right well e3 being the absolute barrel of fun it was uh won't stop us from talking a little bit about some anime so david how about them animes? How about them animes indeed, Jackson? Uh, while I'm still on my sabbatical from seasonal anime, uh, I decided, and recently I've been doing this, I've been looking for an anime that is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And I've had an anime that was recommended to me on and off the internet that just recently came out and was available on Right Stuff. Uh, it, some people at the anime club that I go to and some people online uh, have recommended this show because they all passionately, passionately love this show, Jackson. And they're all girls. Now, uh. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that I'm watching this anime to impress a girl, but it's probably going to come off that way. It's probably going to come off that way. It's okay. We're we're gonna we're gonna acknowledge it openly here, and then never speak of it as you continue to describe this. But we'll all just keep it in mind as the discussion continues. The show no I'm judgment. talking about was a release from 1979 called "The Rose of Versailles" or Versailles. Aha! This one. Yeah. The world's first Yuri. Is it the world's first? 
I believe it is the world's first. I'm going to continue to look for this. It, there might have been something in the Showa era. Uh, you go ahead and synopsize it, and I'll fact check that. Well, The Rose of Versailles revolves around Oscar Francois de Jajarius. I, I butchered that last name. Uh, who was raised as a boy by her father. He wanted a boy. So he raised Oscar as a boy, uh, gave his baby daughter uh, the name Oscar, and raised this young lady in the in the ways of French aristocracy, sword fighting, uh, being a dignitary, if you will, and, and all of those aristocratic things. And this was about 20 years before the French Revolution. So we're introduced to the likes of Marie Antoinette, uh, the King of France, Louis the Fourteenth, scratch that fifteenth, and on and on and on. Various people amongst these aristocrats before the French Revolution, and Oscar also has a friend of hers named Andre, who is her manservant, I suppose, but also best friend. And the quandary at the beginning of the series is Oscar, who has recently won the right to lead the royal guard for Marie Antoinette. Now, the thing, first of all, about this show that kind of had me a little confused, it was, okay, we've got Oscar, our main character. One minute it was like, okay, everyone knows Oscar is a girl. But then they're saying Oscar is not a girl. But then everyone knows Oscar is a girl. What the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? Like, do, do they know Oscar is a girl or do they not know Oscar is a girl? What the hell? Second one. Oh, boy. The Queen of Austria, Marie Antoinette's mother. Uh, she was the one character in this show that seemed to be the voice of reason amongst all this infighting and, and drama. Oh. Now, that's kind of bizarre, considering the historical context. Right, right. But she was far and away the voice of reason on this show, uh, along with a few other characters here and there. Uh, I will admit, I've only gotten to about episode 10. I've not gotten through the whole thing. And it's only 40 episodes, apparently, so I, I will probably yes. have this done uh, before we do APOS again to give my final take. But well, I will say, uh, uh, and I and I spoke with um, Kay from the Anime is Lit podcast because I had to ask about Marie Antoinette, and she reminded me that well, Marie Antoinette at the time of this show in, in its beginnings is only about fourteen or fifteen years old. I'm really kind of waiting for her to die. Like, every time she opens her mouth and says something that annoys me, it's kind of like, ha ha, you're going to get your head cut off and it's going to be great. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I, I would feel any different because, yeesh. Uh, I do want to go ahead and uh, put the rumor to bed that this was the first Yuri because uh, a, sh uh, a manga, Eight Years It's Senior, 1971, is uh, the holder of that title. Uh, this 
The title is Shiroi Heya no Futari, or Our White Room, or Couple of the White Room, by Ryoko Yamagishi. But Rosa Versailles is definitely uh, one of the first of this kind of uh, of subjects. And I do remember it distinctly. I don't know if I'd say fondly. So, uh, another thing about the show that I, I have to give it a few demerits for and and Mm -hmm. i'm expecting that maybe as the series goes on uh, this will change i found the pacing of the show to be a bit on the slow side in the early going i felt like it, it established the characters the important characters very quickly early on which i liked but then it just kind of dragged for a little bit. I didn't really find myself caring about uh, Madame Dubarry in the beginning and the, the drama going on with her and Marie Antoinette of being ignored and not being noticed. And, and th- that was all kind of, to me, it felt a bit filler-ish. Now... Here, here's what I will say about this show. I say the pacing was slow, but it, this came out in late 1979. And Jack, there was another show that came out in 1979. And for a person in late 1979 and early 1980, this show, this particular anime, was airing at the same time as the Rose of Versailles, and it had similar pacing problems, so I'm assuming that maybe it was just the style at the time. Jack, if we were doing It's In Season in the fall of 1979, Mm. I have a feeling we'd be talking about the Rose of Versailles Uh. and one other show. Do you know what show I'm talking about, Jackson? Well, it'd have to be if it's the North Star. Uh, Nope, you're, you're a few years late on that one. Oh, dear. This is the North Star was like 86, 87. Oh, God, darn it. But 1979 and early 1980, DJM says in his best Peter Cullen voice, was the groundbreaking anime saga that started it all, Mobile Suit Gundam. Ah, of course I should have been, I should have known. That's, that's my bad. That's a... The Rose and, of Versailles and Mobile Suit Gundam. What a what a black and, and, and here, white and yin and yang there. Not as much as you might think, Jackson. Because here's the thing: in the in Mobile Suit Gundam's original run, Mobile Suit Gundam had a pretty strong female audience because they liked the storytelling. And they liked the pacing of the show, how it told the story and flushed out so many characters that really became a hallmark of the Gundam franchise, where it had a large cast of characters that were all intertwined. And like The Rose of Versailles, this show has a large cast with characters that all eventually intertwine with one another. So I was thinking in my headcanon, if me, Shay, Tari, and Cody were doing It's in Season in the fall of 1979, I feel like we would be having a lot of conversations about the similarities between the Rose of Versailles and the mighty Mobile Suit Gundam. And I feel like 
if Anna Twitter were around in 1979, I would probably be leading some sort of roundtable on both of these shows. Now, granted, I'm not expecting giant robots, people dropping colonies onto Earth, or giant levels of apocalyptic action in the Rose of Versailles, but I would not mind if later on in the series, the Rose of Versailles picks up the action just a little bit. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I, I, I need a little bit of adrenaline from the Rose of Versailles. <laughs> I need a little bit of uh, one. I, uh, I, I won't make any further comment on it as I did uh, experience the series in its entirety, but uh, good luck with that, old DJM. And uh, in the meantime, I was also watching an anime. What I will say so far, yes. Jackson, just to wrap up. Yes. I am enjoying The Rose of Versailles. Dot, dot, dot but I'm ready for it to pick up the pace. I don't blame you. I I don't blame you on either end of that because it definitely is a distinctive series. It's very memorable. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, David, I, I got something that I'd say I'd recommend to just about anybody who needs a quick pick me up. It's perfect for that. It's, probably the most disorienting anime of all time but it is that by design this is something that i think trumps even inferno cop in terms of fast-paced comedy that is the nine season long series available for viewing on crunchyroll subbed tech you that's t-e-e k-y-u uh it takes it's it's really indescribable so it's really succinct to kind of get the point across is you follow four girls sometimes a couple more in an azumanga dio style two minute long complete with intro and uh end credits themes which are really disorienting fast-paced punchlines absurdist surreal comedy and occasionally they actually play tennis because as the name implies in japanese i'm told it's supposed to imply that they are a tennis club but they only very rarely play tennis a couple of the episodes do kind of coincide with one another there's a little bit of continuity between those but for the most part it's just endless nonsense every episode is two minutes long approximately and they're all named after all kinds of movies, especially American ones. We've got things like Eight Mile with Senpai, Edward Scissorhands with Senpai, Titanic with Senpai, etc., etc. It's really bizarre. Oh yeah, my personal favorite, Nacho Libre with Senpai. If you don't mind the fact that it's got very choppy animation or that the girls are decidedly cutesy in the introduction, for humor's sake, I will make very clear note of that. Uh, it's definitely something you can pick up and put down and just watch whenever you need a quick little uh, laugh that only anime can provide for you. So give it a look. There's nine seasons. That's about uh, over 100 episodes, I believe, of something you could watch in two hours if you really, really want to make the uh, those two hours feel very strange. That's Tech You, once again. It's T W K Y U. 
It's available on Crunchyroll. But it's also available on Crunchyroll and will soon be available on Toonami is Pop Team Epic. Another show that brings the laugh laugh. Now, Jack, when I was at Colossal Con, I saw a lot more Pop Team Epic cosplay than I expected. I I saw as much as I expected. And I expected a lot. I knew it was going to be a big deal. I didn't, to be honest. I thought it was such an odd and esoteric show that it probably wouldn't hit the mark. I think... Because I, I... the thing is, I loved Pop Team Epic so much, and because my tastes are so off the beaten path, I thought it wouldn't be as popular as it is. But now it's so popular that just last week, it announced that it's going to be on Toonami. Pop Team Epic on Toonami. I'm I'm terribly excited for that in many facets. Uh David, I just want to say uh, I'm definitely with you on that that thought that, oh, man, you know, my taste is so out of whack with people. You know, I'm, I'm looking at all this stuff so much later than it's uh, been such a big deal or, you know, the new stuff doesn't excite people as much as it excites me. But Pop Team Epic, I mean, I think it just has that sweet spot of being just silly enough and just just enough of the dark humor the dark bitter humor that millennials are really excited about i think it just has captured this big audience in that way you know there's a little bit of something for everybody but it is a very very quality show and i'm excited to see how it does on toonami and also jack it is not completely out of its element because there was another show another anime that I called Pop Team Epic its spiritual successor that had a run yes. on Adult Swim back in the day. And that show is my beloved Super Milk Chan. R.I.P. ADV Films. Arguably this... one of the finest sketch comedy style animes. Not just of its time. I'd say in general. Of all time. Of all of time. Of all time. Argu- unarguably. And Pop Team Epic taking that place as a spiritual successor to Super Milk Chan makes me feel so good in my soul that I'm all the way ready for it. And it's I like we're really returning hope, to home after a long journey. It really does feel that way. And, and it will at least be something on Toonami that is not Shonen. Yes. Because if you like Shonen... Then hell to the yeah. Toonami on Saturday nights. Weekend, son. That, that's a hell of a lineup on Saturday nights. Toonami actually, as the kids say, low-key, has a pretty strong lineup on Saturday nights. But it's all shonen, wall to wall. Until you want Pop a little Team bit Epic. Something extra. If you want a little something extra, you gotta, you know, hold out for Pop Team Epic. And it's it's totally I, I can't worth wait it. to see. I it's cannot totally wait it. to see. Uh, it, it's it's just coming full circle. Everything is returning to its previous state because that's what we really like, isn't it, David? Is for things to stay the same. Well, that's that's the thesis anyway. No, uh, no. Oh, no, no. That's what we we're think. We're moving forward. We're moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. 
And we're going to keep moving forward for another episode of the anime podcast of some sort, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. We, we really had a lot to get into. We really, really did. Uh, we didn't even get to it all. but No, y'all, but there's always more to be said in more time. Yeah, there really is. All in its time. Jack, what have you got going on? Oh boy, it's Pride Month, David. It's exciting. I've I've, I've heard one or two people mention that. It, you know, it's it's just a little thing. It's no big deal, uh, except for uh, by next podcast, I'm definitely going to have some stories about celebrating uh, directly my my very first time uh, celebrating in a parade and such. And oh, this is there your will first? be this is my this is my first. That wasn't, you know, just a little individual thing with a couple of other people where we weren't in an actual official parade. But, David, it's even more exciting than that because, like most things, I have to dress up for the occasion. And little did I know that the local, you know, Northern Californian cosplay scene is actually going to have a little bit of a segment in the parade in SF Pride. Uh, specifically little did featuring- you know, Jack? Little did I know. That, that is, no offense, that is the least surprising thing. I, I had no idea. Uh, I've only just kind of known about these people. You know, my Instagram, while flourishing, I'll get to that, uh, is not necessarily uh, the thing that I keep the most track of. So these people have only just came into my uh, field of vision. But uh, as such, these people will be in a block of the parade, cosplaying LGBT characters, and I have I, decided to join. Yes. I was going to say, I feel like the the cosplay community and and Pride is probably yeah. right up there with the the fight, the anime fans, the, the male <laughs> anime fans, and the wrestling fandom. <laughs> I, I feel like... <laughs> like, like <laughs> if you are shocked that there is a crossover... I, I might have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Hey, the Adia Steel Industries gay, Homa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah, we got some we got some gays going and they're cosplaying and I'll be joining them and I won't have enough time to make my sign that shouts we're gay, we're glad, but don't tell mom and dad, but the the sentiment will be there and I'm quite excited and I'll be happy to share uh the experience of the weekend for that and uh that'll be that and you can find yes go ahead you can find my musings on the things that i've been watching anime of course the simpsons everyone's favorite 90s family anime uh and my artwork and some writing there's been a bit of a slump depression will do that to you but if you want to look up stuff that i'm just kind of saying out loud in text format that's weird. Then you can find me on Twitter at Jack D Tyler D and on Instagram as not Jack the Artiste. I keep getting myself confused now. It's because last time you you did the mind trick on me and said, What is it this week? <laughs> and now I'm actually tricking myself. It's Rock Behind the Wheel on Instagram. Uh please check those out and as I don't think I've mentioned this in a while, but I still have copies of my comic, How to Get Ahead in Life, Workplace Comedy. If you like stuff like The Office and fun character design and a little bit of 
uh, friend and family drama, then you might really enjoy this. And you get a lot of extras depending on what version you purchase. You can always inquire on either of those social medias about that. And you can also get a little bit of news about the extra projects that I'm working on from either of those. That's what I've got going on. It's been a while since I've said all of that in its entirety. Holy cow, I have a life sometimes. And don't we all? I mean, I, it, I've forgotten to tell people that I'm on a new podcast. I'm on The Record Breakers with Petey Rave, Brett Kibbity Bibbard, and Drew Snyder. It is a musical book club of sorts, not a book club about musicals, but a music club where we each bring an album that we talk about. I have brought Atrocity Exhibition from Danny Brown. Uh, we've recently done a few other things, like Michael Jackson's Thriller. We did yes. The Butthole Surfers, Electric Larry Land, and, and many, many more. You can follow that at 4RecordBreakers and at Rebelli.net. And subscribe where all the other things can be subscribed. Yes, old DJM is doing multiple podcasts again, everybody. I'm getting, the, I'm getting the fire back. The fire's coming back. And Jack, Thank you. Yes. I just want to say one more time. Uh, speaking of fire, that this podcast, the anime podcast of some sort, yes. is the eternal flame of Delta Juliet Mike Media. And I cannot well, thank burning. you enough for continuing to embark on this silly little journey with me. So I cannot thank you enough. Well, I, I would continue on to the end because as long as there's nerdy stuff to talk about, there's definitely got to be a place to spill it out with. And thank you for letting me always just come in and be a big dork about all the stuff that I'm doing in my lifetime, even if it doesn't even have all that much to do with anime. It's fantastic. And thank you for, you know, the people who keep bringing stuff to me to, you know, talk about and listen to and watch. Thank you. And you know, thank you for always just having a big stream of nerd stuff to to discuss. Thank you, everybody. And thank, thank you, Thank you, everybody, indeed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for your like, share, subscribe. Delta Juliet, Mike Media. Subscribe where podcatchers can give you podcasts. And we will talk to you again in the not-too-distant future. Arigato. Don't touch my stuff.